Welcome to this week's edition of the Wispy Mob Music Acoustic Radio Podcast Series. I'm your host, Todd, middle initial C, Walker. Yes, that's right, it's me. And we were listening to the song titled Strange Journey, which is the title track off of Harry Pritchard's CD, Strange Journey, that was put out probably 
five years or so ago, plus or minus maybe a little bit. And the fellow who wrote that song and sang those lyrics so wonderfully well happens to be sitting a nice social distance six to seven feet away from me on the Shabro stage behind the Frederick Coffee Company and Cafe in downtown Frederick on a delightful 82 degree, very low humidity day. Harry Pritchett, how are you? I am well. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Well, you're most welcome. And I have always loved that song. Glad to hear that. Glad to hear. It is, um, whenever I hear it, and I'm not the greatest background vocalist in the world, but it makes me want to sing back backup vocals with you. Well, that's great to hear. And uh, Cletus Canelli does the backup on that. And he does a phenomenal job. And I think when he added that higher part in the chorus, it really did elevate it. Uh, so it was exciting to watch it come together, you know, during the recording process. Well, that's, that's a good question. The recording process, and I know that you're in the process right now of recording another CD. And we're going to play a couple songs from that new CD uh, on the show here today. But... What was the process like going from once you had written the songs to take them into the studio? What's the process of, of presenting them to the engineer and or the producer, if you have a producer, if you're not self-producing, to get it to the point that we just heard it? So it varies depending upon who you're recording with. I was very fortunate to be able to work with Marco Delmar in uh, Fairfax, Virginia at the time. I believe he's in Arlington now at Recording Arts Studios. And I had lived in Centerville, Virginia and previously Falls Church. And I knew a lot of uh, other musicians through Open Mics, um, Songwriter of, uh, Association of Washington Showcases and other things and had would buy CDs occasionally. I noticed that a lot of them were produced by him that sounded really, really good. So I ended up uh, contacting him and with him, there was a very specific process where I sent him some songs and then we met and we kind of went through, you know, there was probably 15 or so initially and picked the top four or five to start with. And then with this project, it was really interesting. He's uh, done some label stuff. He's a really, really top pro and great ear, great uh, decision maker as well, makes really good recommendations. But he had wanted... Uh, to have a full band on this. And so he arranged for the session players, which included uh, Robbie Magruder on drums, who's played for some national acts, um, John Nasden on bass. I think Jack Bond ended up doing some guitar. I brought him in. But uh, what was really great about it was that it started out as very much a finger-picking kind of mellow type of song. And when we were in there, I think Marco had the idea of the bass going with that bum, 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 which kind of change the character of it and uh you know i was open to anything because it was just sort of uh lyrics music and chords and then uh you know it was open to suggestions i think he made some good decisions there and i was happy with the way that one came together i know that many of us who are songwriters we we fall in love with our own songs and i haven't recorded that much and i've never recorded with a producer so i haven't had the chance where someone could take my song and say, well, I think we should do this and do this and do this. Was it difficult to let go of the way you thought it should go to change it to the way he thought it might go? Not at all. I love collaboration and I'm not out to have it my way or the highway. And I want to take advantage of people's talents mm -hmm. and 
Marco had a suggestion. Um, if if I had heard it and it didn't work, I would have said something, but I don't think that ever happened. Yeah. yeah. So when you recorded that particular one, mm -hmm. and I'm sure it, it leads into all the other ones, what did what got recorded first? I believe it was a scratch acoustic guitar with the bass player and the drummer. And we ran through it once. And then what happened was they, uh, Marco or one of the engineers took the bass and drums and kind of uh, really made it tight through some editing. And it was really good playing as well. But they uh, did that. And then I came back and I believe I laid down the real acoustic guitar now that there was a solid rhythmic foundation. And I think... Um, there was also a scratch vocal the first time, and then I think I did the other vocal, and then uh, he brought in Brian Sims on keyboard, who I thought really added a lot as well. I believe there's keyboards on that. And um, then uh, Jack Bond came, and then Cletus came, and then as it was coming together, what was great is that I heard an acoustic part on the guitar, and I would have a CD of the song, and I would play along with it. And so some of the acoustic fill-in stuff is stuff that, I've done, and normally in a band situation, I'm either singing or doing rhythm, so it was a lot of fun that I had the time to sort of, uh, you know, do that, and that when I suggested it, Marco said, yeah, that sounds great, because uh, I wasn't sure if it did or not, you know, because I'm not really a lead player, even with, with Phil and stuff, but I, I enjoy it, but it's not something that I consider myself, uh, you know, my strongest uh, skill, no. Now, when did you actually, how much earlier had you written the song before you actually went into the studio with that particular song? So uh, probably the music was probably at least a year and a half or, or two years and then I kind of iteratively did the lyrics and um, I think I may have even changed some of the lyrics up until I recorded the song once the bass and drums were down because it kind of suggest a different feel so uh, at some point you have to declare victory on the lyrics. Sometimes <laughs> I, I, I rewrite uh, quite a bit but I I think it's it's good to rewrite because it doesn't always come out right the first time you know it's sort of a brain dump and uh, then it's like oh we got to edit this so uh, yeah well when you haven't recorded a song that you've written mm -hmm. and you write it and you practice it at home and then you go out to say an open mic or you start to perform like we used to perform at the Frederick Coffee Company and you were one of the mainstay performers the um, do your songs kind of morph once you start playing them live so that sometimes the line that was written changes slightly because it just flows better when you sing it two or three or four or five, ten times, or does it pretty much stay the same? It changes slightly, and uh, one of the songs on the CD here, uh, Strange Journey, um, I was doing it so often that I, I found a better way to sing it, but it was after the fact, and it was like, oh, well, you know, but it was because uh, <laughs> I think that repetition kind of gives you uh, a feel for it. So, um but one of the things I'll do in my process is if I have an idea for a song, if I think I might want to develop it, I'll put it on a digital voice recorder. Once I have several of them, I'll throw it on a CD. Then I'll listen to it in the car. And I had a long commute at the time before the pandemic uh, often, although I was able to work from home some. And I would find that listening to it in the car would give me a little bit of degree of objectivity. And I might decide, oh, that's terrible. Let's just delete that. Or... Mm, maybe or oh wow this is something I, I I would keep listening to if it came on the radio now so um, I've been doing that for quite a bit and that helps a lot because if you just do it all in one room it's uh, it, it's hard to tell what's working or not now is it a long process for you to write songs it can be 
every once in a while a song will come really really quickly and I'm happy but usually it starts with the lyrics and usually the first verse and the chorus um, come pretty quickly and then it's like okay where do I go from here how do I make it a complete song and that's uh, you know the struggle is it when you get that first verse written or a thought in your mind of what you think you want that first verse to be or the way it comes out is there a story that automatically follows or is it something like well that was a good line now what I would say the latter sometimes the story will follow but again that's why I will listen to it in the car a few weeks later to get a little bit of objectivity and I'll think about the story but also think about the emotion you know is what what am I trying to convey and uh, then you know just uh, start trying stuff out and seeing if it works and sometimes it might work on paper but then I'll do another version and listen to it in the car and I'll realize that phonetically I don't like it there's too many you know peas in a row or, or whatever and mm -hmm. it just sounds awkward so uh, and another word might come to me a synonym that, oh wait it's, it's gonna be better to do it this way so definitely iterative with me sometimes they come quickly usually the music first and then going through some uh, you know some edits now is there a better time of day for you to write songs or is it just whenever you have the time I think morning is always best, and uh, I hardly ever do it in the morning, but I know, especially lyrically, I think the lyrical brain works better in the morning. It's not cluttered. It's not cluttered, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but, you know, a lot of times it's just, if I have some time, you know, uh, we'll do it, and uh, I, I would think the morning is good, though. Yeah. Now, how about feedback from Karen? Does she give you feedback? Like, are you in a room where she can hear you when you're you're writing and singing or are you like tucked away in the basement you have a little music room somewhere or something so I have an office upstairs and I now have a studio as well I just got garage band that's another story but um so she's often upstairs she can hear sometimes she'll pop in and say uh, oh I like that um, and uh, I'll also I was participating in some workshops over the summer and early this year during COVID um, with a group where there were nine or ten people and you would get feedback and I think getting feedback is really important but uh, yeah no she's great to bounce ideas off and and she'll tell me if something's working she also uh, will tell me if it's not and uh, so I appreciate that honesty you know well feedback is wonderful the what I find sometimes and it's not just in songwriting it's everything in life in a way sometimes I'm not the best at receiving um, constructive criticism right I have right. to let it just kind of sit there for a while and marinate are you somewhat like that or do you take it right off the top and go well you know that's a good point I think as I've gotten older I'm better at it I would say uh, there were times when I would feel the sting and uh, <laughs> you know in my day job we do also a lot of reviews of documents it's very iterative and uh, can be stressful and there will be review cycles where you're you know you're gonna get criticized and so um, I kind of try to put on a metaphoric bulletproof vest mm -hmm. and just say okay here's the review and you know maybe there's 10 people that have reviewed a document and they each have 10 comments that's 100 comments maybe 40 of them are, are way off because they don't understand the requirement or whatever but 60 good comments can bring it to the next level so that, that's the way I look at it. I don't necessarily agree with everyone and when it's something I'm really uh, excited about, uh, I feel really good. But I remember one time around 2004 when I was in Centerville, I was part of a 
group that just would meet once a month and uh there was a guy there who was touring and i presented my song and uh he said you know i think on this one you might want to just start from scratch and i, I felt the sting <laughs> on that one and uh eventually i i did record it um it's, it'll be one of the new ones it's not one we'll listen to today but um I, I did kind of understand where he was coming from with it and what was wrong with it and i was like okay if i want to keep that is there some clever way in the back door of kind of acknowledging that it is what it is but going in, a, in another direction to make it work so um you know so i still got something out of it but uh, yeah i was not happy at the time well back in the early days of snafu with uh, david morreale sunday night all folked up he would have a once a month potluck dinner and songwriters would come in and you were required to bring a new song or a song that no one had heard yet excellent yeah with the lyrics pass the lyrics out, and then we'd go around, we'd sit cross-legged on the floor after eating dinner, or maybe before dinner, I think it was after dinner, sing our song while people read the lyrics. Right. And I can remember uh, the first time I did it, my, I didn't have that thick vest. Right, right. And it stung, and I, and I, I, I did not like one of the comments. But darn, after about two or three weeks of thinking about it, that fellow was absolutely 100% correct. Right, right. But yeah. it took a while for me to come around. Yeah. It does. And songwriting is a little bit subjective. It's not like Correct. chemistry or math or something like that. But usually if, if people are reacting away, there's a reason for it. And, you know, so then I'll, I might come back and say, was that just a, a forced rhyme or I, is this something that's coming from an authentic place? And I might say, you know what, it was a pretty obvious forced rhyme when you look <laughs> at it, you know, and... Uh, and sometimes I might say it's a forced rhyme, but I think it works and keep it. So, you know, if it, if it seems to support the song. I think that's all important. You're, you're very astute on that point. Because what I don't like to see is someone who gives up an idea based on constructive criticism. Right. When that idea could have turned into something. Right. And yeah. you hear it years later and you go, wow, that... Why don't you play that? No, somebody told me it was lousy. Right, yeah. No, no, it can, uh, you know, and giving feedback to others, you know, you have to be, uh, I always try to think of, you know, what do I like about it? And if I get lost somewhere, I'll say, you know, I got lost here. And that kind of will give them a clue that maybe I veered off course. You know, maybe I had a strong start. But, uh, you know, if people are have a need to write and uh, want to, usually there's going to be something about it that, you know, is, is, is good. And it's just, you know, building on it. I think getting feedback is really important because uh, otherwise, you know, it's just, it's just hard to know. Well, it's, it's difficult if you, if you performed live and you played all new original songs, but there was no one in the room, and the next time you went out and you played the same 10 new songs and there was no one in the room, how do you know if they're good other than the fact that you like them? Because there exactly. isn't any feedback. Exactly. Yes. Yes. You know, it's the foot tap or the person who's moving their shoulders or who says something at the end of the night. You know that third song you did? I don't remember the title, but I really like that one. Yeah. I love it if I get feedback like that. And I miss playing live. I did Elk Run once last year. And Elk Run is a great little vineyard. And the stage is set off a bit from where the tables are. So you're able to social distance. I'm playing again August 7th. So I'm oh, looking terrific. forward to that. And uh, yeah, it's great. And the uh, showcases where there's other songwriters, especially, you get really good feedback. And yes, you can sort of feel when people are tuning out or when they're not. And 
sometimes you can't because like at a winery people might be there to talk to their friends and catch mm -hmm. up and you're kind of providing the soundtrack and i actually don't mind that role at all and uh just try to you know play to the best that i can and express the emotion as best as i'm feeling at, at that time and hopefully it's it adds something and uh if it doesn't get acknowledged that's okay if it does that's even better you know well we're talking about um feedback in songs and you are an award winner of the you know saw songwriters association of washington mid-atlantic song contest with your song nightbird which we're going to hear shortly okay but that is great feedback to be awarded something yeah very validating very validating and uh that was a silver award it wasn't the overall one but it was uh something that uh i was very proud of very humbled by also because it went through a few drafts to get to where it was and had some really good players on it. Um, I think Ron Goad was on that, uh, who's been so supportive to the songwriting community and is such a great uh, percussionist and Cletus is on that. Brian Sims, uh, that was also recorded uh, with uh, Marco and I, I had gotten some feedback on an early draft. It was actually uh, just kind of a goodbye song with a very slow melody and there was a line about a nightbird and the feedback I got was, we like the night part maybe work that more so I actually redid all the lyrics putting my guitar down just to the computer because I, I wanted to just kind of focus on images and not be trapped into oh I need seven syllables here and I need a rhyme there and so then once I had the new lyrics I didn't like the old music so I came up with an alter so it kind of uh, worked itself in a winding zigzaggy kind of way but um yeah i was very happy with the final validation on that and uh, a lot of great talent in the dc area uh, and definitely have submitted a lot that have not won anything and uh, that's because there's so much talent around the area yeah. now that particular year was that the only song you had entered or did you enter two or three i believe i entered two or three yeah, yeah. now why do you think nightbird got the award and the other ones didn't you know nightbird has an unusual chord progression so i think that it was a little different it won in the open category um i thought the uh imagery was decent on that and one of the great things about marco is that he would push you vocally and i thought um i remember the first take or two wasn't really working and he had a way of sort of getting you to a space uh, very diplomatically, but very honestly at the same time. And so um, I think that, and I remember at first hearing the vocal that worked and I, I heard the emotion in it, but it was totally dry, no reverb or right. whatever. And I was like, oh my God, can you put something on it? You know, and he said, oh yeah, yeah, we'll do that. So he added some reverb and I'm like, hey, you know, that doesn't sound that bad. So uh, yeah, that was. Uh, it is rather humbling to hear your, vo your vocal dry. <laughs> indeed it is, indeed. Well, let's listen to Nightbird right now. Is that a good idea? Sure. Ladies and gentlemen, Harry Pritchard singing Nightbird. Year has passed since you disappeared by the sea. Are you in heaven or did you just change identities? I traced my steps back to the waters of the sea. And I am crawling to my knees I watch a night bird fly Across the sea and sky I watch a 
ending there with that yeah i think so the major seventh chord and the little slowdown yeah the slowdown was really hard for me to get that right so uh luckily the drummer and bass had it first so uh yeah yeah that was a that was nice touch uh that was uh probably marco's idea yeah now you seemed in that song and and in strange journey to be enjoying the process i get that impression do you enjoy the studio i do very much you know if uh if I win the lottery and could be in the studio all the time, that would be great. Yeah, I love it. So it's not stressful for you? The only thing that would have been stressful would have been the drive, maybe. And uh, if you only have a certain amount of time and you really want to get it right, and, uh, you know, that can be a little bit stressful. But watching it come together and uh, not thinking too hard about it and trying to relax and enjoy it, I think, is uh, the best approach. You know, you have moments of stress, but uh, 
Not bad. Now, when you do go into the studio, how much time do you book at one time? So, uh, for that particular CD, since I was traveling out to Virginia, it was usually at least uh, four hours, you know, maybe a half day. Sometimes, I think when we did the original with the full band, the bass and drum, it might have been uh, five or six hours, something like that. It was a pretty, uh, pretty long day, yeah. And I would imagine when you do a four-hour session, Marco or the, the engineer is probably got a follow-up session or one before you or whatever, so they're probably pretty busy. Yes, and with him that was the case, especially since it was such a longer commute. On the songs I'm doing now at Lady of Noise Studios in Frederick, um, what's been great is that I'm not performing the whole time, and I do go there for the mixing process, and I can ask questions, and I can observe, and uh, so um, learning more about uh, some of the audio engineering features and capabilities, which I find very interesting. Yeah. So this new CD is mm -hmm. being recorded here in Frederick? It is. And what was the name of the studio again? It's called uh, Lady of Noise Studios. Now, there are some parts that have been recorded remotely, especially once the pandemic hit. Sure. And uh, Dave Mallon of Innovation Station in Virginia, I'd started working with him shortly after this because I was interested in some of the techno technology capabilities and um, not always having to have a full band in. And so then I ended up traveling for work, and we kind of lost touch. But during the pandemic, I was in touch with him. And one of the songs, he did almost all the instruments remotely because, you know, we didn't really want to try to get a drummer in or anything right. like that. And uh, I had sent it to him, and uh, he came, came back with some feedback. I think we should do this. And I said, you know, just go for it. So he ended up doing all of it. That's the I didn't end up playing on that. but And Brian Sims also has done some piano stuff remotely, which has been uh, – interesting to have it sent and then watch it all get put together and then add the vocals. Now, how did you go about choosing this new studio? So I had been looking at a number of studios around 2015, 2016, after I had um, some songs and I decided I didn't want to necessarily travel far because uh, you want to be as relaxed as possible. And I guess my patience level with the traffic in the area has, uh, Reduced proportionate with uh, the number of years I've aged, you know, <laughs> so uh, I Checked out several things and I found them on Thumbtack actually and I thought the website was really well written And then I listened to the songs and I thought they really sounded great And so it was actually in 2016. I met with Jason saw the studio and then I uh, didn't start recording until 2017 but um, I just you know through the internet and uh do that review and a thumbtack, I guess. Uh, that's how I found it, yeah. Now, the uh, was it difficult transitioning from, say, Marco's studio to this studio? Because they, they must work differently. They do. You know, Marco is very much uh, full service, and he used analog tape, and he brought in se session musicians, and he had a very much uh, hands-on kind of approach. And... Uh, Jason is a terrific audio engineer who also provides great suggestions, but he's a really good listener, and uh, I know a lot more than I did back then as well. So, um, you know, when we started, um, he did want to have the rhythm track laid down first, and we had the click track, and uh, I've been working on trying to practice with the click to get a little better with timing so that you, because it's one thing to play live. You can get away with if you're 
a microsecond off, but once it's recorded, uh, it's there forever, and you, you can't get away with that. So, <laughs> no, I um, find it yeah. very difficult. I end yeah. up chasing the click. Right, exactly, exactly, yeah. So, uh, But, you know, if I practice with the click before I do the guitar part, it's, it's just uh, just putting some time into it. Even if I'm not perfectly happy with everything, it ends up being a lot closer, at least. And if you do two or three takes and they're able to comp it, usually you can uh, get that. But, uh, yeah. Now... I have two songs from this this new soon to be released CD. Mm-hmm. Now, do you have a speaking of the new CD? Do you have a date in mind that you would like to release it, or is it too early for that? Hopefully, in 2022, but it might be too early for that. I'm continuing to write new stuff, and I've got a collection. And people don't buy CDs as much as they used to, That's so correct. I've been posting stuff to my Reverb Nation page. So if you do a search, Harry Pritchett, Reverb Nation, you'll find that. And so I'll probably, once we finish recording a bunch of them, pick the top 10 that I like the best and uh, put out a CD. But um, haven't been, you know, the world has sort of changed since uh, that. And with the pandemic especially, you're not playing out. And that was a good opportunity to try to sell CDs. So, Well, the song that we're going to play, and I don't know the title of it, because you sent me the sound files, but you didn't tell me what the title are. This is the one with piano. Okay. And what's the title of this one? The title is Love Song Number 7. Okay. We're going to listen to it, and then you're going to explain it and talk about it when we finish. Sounds great. I was thinking of you And I thought I might try To write a love song Without a single lie I started to write Darling, you are the one Who makes me feel I could be true To just one I was trying Just the right words to describe The point of a love song at all These rhymes meant as a promise To seduce the truth I'm falling for you like a fool Like a fool But Something real Then again I don't know the words That will be true Today and tomorrow Too Now I need you so bad Wanna lay down Wondering what happens after that Something real Then again Don't 
I was thinking of you And I thought I might try To write a love song Without a lie Now I picture that as a song from an animated feature film. And that is the lead character, and it could be a humanoid, or it could be an ant, or a duck, or something, singing that in one of those, you know, you know, midway through, probably two-thirds of the way through, and they've been trying to get the girl, or, or whatever it is. It just, as soon as, it, I didn't think of that when I listened to it the first couple times at home. But just now, immediately, it was like, gosh, this is, this is part of an animated film. Very interesting uh, reaction, uh, so I, I appreciate that. I didn't necessarily have that in mind, but I did want it to make it somewhat cinematic so that, um, you know, um, there's a lot of big market for film and TV, and that's something that I definitely aspire to. It's a, it's a tough market, like, it, like everything else, but um, so uh, that's interesting. Now, how did that song get its birth? So it started off with the music, and uh, a jazz chord, and then I decided to put it in 3-4 time, and uh, it sounded like a love song. And, you know, so much of popular music is love songs now, and mm -hmm. I'm extremely fortunate to be in a very happy relationship for a long time. And so it becomes kind of a struggle to say, I'm so happy, I'm so happy, and keep it interesting <laughs> at the same time. So I thought, uh, as I was struggling to write it, I decided to write about struggling to write it, and... That's pretty much how it came about, where the person just wants to write it without any lies, without any bull, without any ulterior motive of seduction, or without it being a wedding song where he's going to commit forever and ever. He's not sure what he wants to do, but he wants to write an honest love song, and so, you know, kind of went from there, yeah. So, who decided to make it a piano song instead of a guitar song? So, I pictured it as a piano song. In fact, I was... Um, thinking of uh, the first couple chords, I was thinking of a Billy Joel song, which is in a totally different time, timing and totally different melody. And, uh, and I was able to reach uh, Brian Sims, and I said, you know, I bet he would do great with it. He's played with a lot of national acts. He's in the Baltimore area now, and this was during the pandemic. And I said, uh, are you available? And can you do stuff remotely? And so I sent it along, and he got back to me and said, you know, I'm thinking of... Uh, I forget the name of the strings, uh, Chamberlain strings on the chorus part to give it sort of a retro sound. And I said, sure, you know, that works. And then actually when he got it back to me, it had changed the character of it that I ended up tweaking the melody a little bit to kind of go with that. But I trust his playing and his emotion and everything like that. And I did have this mastered for this, but there's probably plans to add some percussion to it. Um, just to give it a little bit more, but probably not much. He likes to leave a lot of space, and uh, I like the space there, you know, not, not trying to fill everything. Well, it took me by surprise, and the reason I say that is because I've listened to Strange Journey, that CD, so many times, I was expecting something similar. And this was the first song of the two that you sent that I listened to, and I went, oh, this, this isn't the Harry I normally hear. Yeah, I... You know, I try to try different genres out. I don't normally even think about genre at first when I'm, when I'm writing because that's kind of almost a business way of looking at it. Oh, there's a market for Americana. I better listen to some of that. And then you don't end up 
writing what you feel. So, um, you know, it's, uh, definitely try to go in different directions and not have everything sound the same. When I end up doing the CD, I'll probably consider that um, in terms of uh, what, what songs have enough variety to them. Well, I'm, I'm imagining, since you are writing and recording over a period of time, and what you just said, that this is not going to be a concept album. No, I would think it's probably not. Yeah, it's going to be more of a collection. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've never attempted to write anything song to song that's concept based. I would think that would be somewhat difficult unless you have an overall story, like a novel in your head, and you're writing songs to fit the novel because it has to fit the right, right, the story. Yeah. So do you look at it as, gosh, I, I want kind of a love song, I want a happy song, I want a downer song, I want one that sounds kind of country, I want one that sounds beatlesque, or is it just determined by, gosh, you know, I like that song, that's going to be the one of the ones that I'm probably going to record and put on the CD? It's probably more of liking it, but when I start writing, I remember back in the 90s when I first started playing out with my good friend, uh, Rocky Gutman, who now does the Irish circuit and has a very, uh, very talented, very outgoing and great stage presence. And when we used to make set lists, it would always be, okay, we just did something in a major key, so we don't, we don't want to do something in C again. So maybe we move it up or we do something with tempo. Or, oh, let's go to a minor key instead. Or, oh, wait, there's um, Norwegian Wood by the Beatles. That's actually three, four time. One, two, three, one, two, three, one. And uh, that can do it. So um, when I've done set lists, I try to do that as well, especially when it's just you and a guitar, because it can get very uh, repetitious, I think quickly. So um, I, I do think about variety a lot. And I love so many types of music. I love anything from classical to rock and roll to country to hip hop. You know, if it's good, if it's well done, you know, I like it. So, uh, yeah. Speaking of that, if you could only listen to five songs, someone came to you and said, Harry, we're going to give you your big wish. You just rubbed the genie out of the bottle. You're going to have everything you wanted in life. But in return, you can only listen to five songs for the rest of your life. What would be those five songs? Wow, that's a great question. It's, uh, I would hope that I would have some time to think <laughs> through that because that's a tough one. But, you know, I think, um, you know, I'd probably, I'll, Band on the Run would be a great one because it's really three songs kind of in one. It's mm -hmm. got the intro and then it's got the middle part and it goes into an acoustic thing and that's uh, stuff that I, that I really love. Um, I would say, I would probably also want to mix it up with some majors and minors. So if there's a song in a minor key, it might be uh, Losing My Religion by R.E.M., which has the uh, nice minor feel and is kind of up-tempo. Those are two of them. If I had to pick three more, wow, it's just really, really well, what's tough your, to do. What, what is your favorite song of all time? It doesn't have to be rock and roll, doesn't have to be folk, doesn't have to be Americana, but your favorite song of all time. There's so many of them, but I would say, um, you know, maybe The Boxer by Paul Simon. And I do that one a lot, and it's just, uh, I, you know, I'm a really big fan of his because he really seems to get the, both the lyric and musically uh, so good and so relaxing. So that would be that would be one of them, yeah. That's a good way to, to describe his music, and I never thought of it that way, but I have to admit, it is relaxing. Yeah, yeah. Even his up-tempo things. They are, yeah. I would agree. And... Uh, 
to me, some of his lyrics are on the same par as uh, Bob Dylan, I would think, and some of his melodies are mm-hmm. on the par of uh, McCartney. So it's like really, uh, man, you know, he's, uh, he's also left-handed but plays right-handed, and so am I. And uh, so ah. that's, uh, yeah, but so, uh, yeah, learning to play right-handed was tough, but I could not do the upside-down visual thing. I started out wanting to do it left-handed, but uh, eventually just, you know, sort of practiced and, uh, you know. But the left hand does a lot with the chords, too, so. You know, there are two or three people who I know who are left-handed who play right-handed. And I didn't know that of you. Because you look so natural when you play. So, you know, I've uh, spent a lot of time and effort to try to trick people into thinking that, uh, (laughs) you know, I play naturally. So, yeah, that's good to hear. I was successful in that then. So when you play tennis or or play golf, do you you swing left-handed or right-handed? Okay, so I throw a ball left-handed. And I write left-handed. I can do both with a baseball bat, but actually I prefer right-handed for some reason there. Huh. And with a golf swing as well. But I shoot pool left-handed. So I'm a cross between ambidextrous and uncoordinated, I think. <laughs> you know? But, uh, yeah. Now, you mentioned the, the friend of yours who now does the, the Irish thing. Yes. How did Harry Pritchett start on his musical side? When, like, as a kid, was it in high school? Was it a parent that said, Harry Pritchett, you're taking piano lessons? So I really loved Pearl Bailey as a kid, believe it or not. And uh, they tell me that I would start dancing and that I was scary almost, you know. And so I got a guitar uh, when I was five. And then I started getting lessons, uh, I think, in, like, second grade. I learned how to tune a guitar and... um, learned jingle bells and stuff like that and so uh gradually played quite a bit i did a lot of finger picking i learned Beatles songs first from a neighbor up the street who taught guitar um but it wasn't until i was like in my later 20s that i started doing more open mics and met my good friend rocky and said i'm going to learn how to use a pick and all this other stuff because i really uh felt sort of a passion for it and uh so it was kind of a late bloomer in terms of really being able to strum and that type of thing. But uh, yeah. Now, do you remember what that first guitar was? The first one would have been like a toy guitar, but I got a 12-string Epiphone, I believe, at one point. Um, and I played that a lot, and it was great because um, with the 12 strings, it was so rich. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you had to worry about tuning them. But um, <laughs> you didn't have to be that good of a player to make it ring out and have a nice nice tone to it. And you didn't have to buy the most expensive guitar because the doubling and octave up kind of did the work for you. So, uh, yeah. That, I would think if you played early on in your career 12-string, which it can be somewhat cumbersome to play. Yes, yes. Because of so many strings, the neck's a little wider. You're having to press two strings close together down instead of one that when you transitioned back to a six-string, it probably felt easy. I think so, especially with, like, bar chords and stuff like that. And I try, I try to avoid bar chords, but sometimes you can't. Yeah. Yeah. That's where power chords come in. There you go. That's what they tell me. I, I've... In the last five years, I've learned how to use chords that I, I guess are called power chords. It's really the, the, the lowest four strings on the guitar, and you're basically doing a chord leaving out the E and the B string, basically. That's what I, I think a power chord is. And uh, because I, you know, especially if you, you're playing uh, song to song that have bar chords, after a while, especially as we age, that hand cramps up. Definitely, definitely, yeah. So how do you choose the chords that you're going to use in your songs? 
Does it come down to major minor or does it come down to you're sitting there and you struggle? Oh, that sounds good. Probably the latter. And again, a lot of times the genesis might be uh, I have a little bit of time and I want to do a improvisation and see what happens. And I'll just pick a chord. You know, you got A through G. So um, you pick it or maybe it's a minor chord. And then sometimes if I listen to it back and I realize, oh, I like that, but it's not really in my best vocal range. I'll end up transposing it either through math or with a capo or something like that. Yeah. What's your favorite chord progression? Is there one you, like when you sit down, you've worked all day, uh, nothing really going on, maybe dinner's out of the way and you've got an hour, and you mm -hmm. say, okay, I'm going to go up and play guitar. Karen says, bye. Sean says, I'm going to play video games or whatever he's going to do. Right, right. Harry goes into his office, picks up his guitar. What is the first chord progression that you normally play? That's something that's friendly, comfortable to you? I would say some kind of, uh, not jazzy stuff, but like a C to an E7 to an A minor to a C7. And uh, just to, it's kind of a relaxing progression and I do have one song uh, that's on the new one that does something like that it ends up being D because it ends up being capo um, but uh, and I'll stick with a lot of the tried and true stuff what do they call it the the one the relative minor the four and the five if I just want to get started sometimes and uh, then sometimes you're playing and your hand starts doing something you're not quite really sure why and that's always fun because it can be surprising and uh, yeah now do you understand or know music theory I've listened to some audio books on it when I used to have a long commute and read some stuff. I don't really sight read. Um, I, I can. I can say, oh, it's a B, it's a quarter note. But usually I like to just listen to it, and if I can figure it out by ear, that's a lot easier than understanding a lot of theory. But, um, you know, in terms of the 1, 4, and the 5, and certain things, um, I've gradually, just over time, become more aware of that. Yeah. The, and again, this is not, I am not a musical expert by any stretch of the imagination, but some of my favorite performers, songwriters, are what we call ear musicians. Right. They're right. not classically trained. They're, they don't understand, they might understand music theory in its basic format. Right. But they play strictly by ear and how it feels. Right. It seems to flow easier. I think so. I know, I know some people who can do both, which is uh, pretty pretty great. But uh, yeah, I think if you want to technically reproduce something, having that knowledge and get it almost exactly right, but I don't think that's necessarily the best way to do a cover either because you want to have fun with it and make it your own. So, sure. Uh, yeah. Now, the um, you mentioned The Boxer. Mm -hmm. by Paul Simon. What's your favorite, is that your favorite cover song that you perform? Probably, because I've done it so many times and uh, normally uh, people know it and it's not something like, uh, you know, Margaritaville where they know it so well and not everybody does it. You know, quite a few people will, will do it. And it's one of the first ones I learned with my friend uh, Rocky back in the 90s and we used to do that and we used to... Uh, you know, we were trying to get gigs, and he knew a lot of covers. So I started learning a lot of covers then and appreciating that uh, knowing covers is good because it gives you some tools also to incorporate, you know, when you're writing. It gives you some, oh, wow, you know, these these things can go together. I, I don't know if I would have, you know, stumbled across that on my own. 
So did you ever make the conscious decision to play guitar more often because the guitar player always gets the girls? <laughs> you know, I really wish I'd learned to play bass, but the bass doesn't <laughs> get the girls. Uh, no, it was more about, um, you know, I started playing piano lessons and uh, I bought a Casio synth synthesizer back in the 80s and I was glad that I learned the basics because you can find melody sometimes easier on a piano mm -hmm. rather than just fumbling around with frets or whatever. And uh, But at one point when I decided uh, that I really wanted to learn how to use a pick and put some hours of practice into it, um, I said, you know, I just I, I can't do both. And so uh, piano I generally would not play in public, but it's, it's a good skill. Um, and now that I've got GarageBand and I'm starting to mess around a little bit with MIDI, I'm glad that I, that I know that to a certain extent. You know, I can do the chords and... You know, but not anything really fancy. So what is your in-home studio like? What kind of equipment do you have besides the, the GarageBand program? Okay, so I got my first Mac in January, and I got a Scarlett, mm -hmm. um, there's a name for it, uh, Focusrite. Yep. Yeah, yep. I have one of those too, yeah. Two channels, uh, two inputs, I guess. Yep. And uh, Dave Mallon of Innovation Station, I, I talked with him about you know trying to set it up, and he helped set things up initially. Uh, a lot of people were recommending going with four, and I'm like, well, you know, if I was going to be turn this into a sideline business where I have people coming in, yeah, but, you know, I can always update later. I think, let me learn the basics. And learning a Mac has been challenging because it's not the same just to do a save as or um, you, you know, you click on an MP3, all of a sudden it starts playing and it won't stop. So I, I've still got a learning curve there and I'm sort of training little by little. But I can lay down basic tracks. I've got an AT... 4040 microphone and a couple of JBL speakers and uh, I think that's the basics of the setup, yeah. Now, did you pad the walls at all or do you have a lot of curtains and carpeting in the room so you didn't need to? So I got a reflection filter that goes on the mic stand and so the studio is still a work in progress because what happens is I decided to go with my gig microphone stand and the weight of the reflection filter um, kind of drags it down. So I'm going to be getting another stand at some point. And I haven't done a lot of vocals yet. And I'm just plugging in my guitar directly into the audio interface rather than trying to mic that. But um, definitely all the, all the plugins and processing that can be done afterwards is really uh, pretty mind-boggling. And uh, I think if you learn GarageBand, then uh, the theory is that logic would be uh, the next evolution and uh, so eventually I want to get to a point maybe after the CD where I'm laying some of the tracks down myself but I'm not an audio engineer so it would be fun to just sort of save some time and money by doing some tracks myself but also having the expertise of someone to really uh, do the mix and stuff like that. Now the um, do you foresee in the future of producing an entire CD in Harry Pritchett's studio? You know, I don't see it in the near term, but, uh, you know, if I just stick with it little by little, I think it would be possible. Because in the last 25 years, because I do a lot of, well, you can't read a lot of acoustic guitar magazines anymore because there's so few of them. Right. My favorite was called Acoustic. It was out of England, and that went belly up almost two years ago now. But I'm surprised sometimes 
when I read an article and they're interviewing or they're talking about a specific a singer-songwriter who had a huge hit album, CD, whatever we want to call them, project, and then in, towards the bottom say, and he or she recorded all at home on garage bands. Right, right. And yet, if you talk to a, quote, engineer or someone who's really an audiophile type of recording person, they'll go, oh, yeah, that's for dummies. But the way I look at it, because I just recently got garage bands as well. Right, right. And I know it's not complicated, although to me it is complicated. I hear you. I, I feel your pain <laughs> on that one. Um, that's why I think a hybrid approach of laying down some tracks but relying on the expertise of some audio engineers. Because one thing I am not is I'm not someone who's going to mess around with knobs and say, right. oh, the high and the low and the, this, that, and the other. But if there's a preset plug-in that works, I'm going to try it. And right. I'm going to try to be a little experimental by even saying, oh, there's a preset for a guitar. I'm going to try it for the vocal just to see what it sounds like. I'll, I'll go that far down the rabbit hole, but, you know, turning knobs and everything like that is, is tough. So I'd, I'd also think that some of the drummers that are there could provide a writing foundation, but you, I would probably want a real drummer. Mm -hmm. Although what's really scary is that, uh, you know, the... Drummers that are part of the garage band are mechanical, and it can sometimes sound mechanical, but I understand now that there are algorithms that can make it less perfect so the humans can enjoy it more. That just blows <laughs> my mind because I'm thinking, you want a human to make it sound human. Now the machine's going to tell us to do it, but it's pretty crazy how good they are at that. So, uh, yeah, it's a, capabilities are pretty staggering out there. And know? somebody is sitting at a computer terminal and keyboard making it all happen. Exactly, yeah. And yeah. to have, that's like when I watch anything by Pixar or anybody, you know, any type of movie like that or anything CGI where I was watching the movie Tora, Tora, Tora last night. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a two hour plus movie. And I, I think that was done, what, in the 1970s, maybe early 1980s. But anyway, I'm looking at some of the, the segments where the Japanese zeros are flying into. Hawaii, right, and I'm right. thinking, where did they get that many airplanes that look like a zero? And then I think, no, Todd, CGI or computerization. Right, right. It is amazing what the human brain can come up with and then turn into. It's like 3D printers. I don't understand those either. Yeah, it's pretty uh, crazy. This uh, world keeps, uh, technology keeps advancing almost exponentially. And so it is, uh, you can come up with some pretty good sounds and stuff. Uh, on that it's just uh, and, I've, and I've done bass tracks I've laid down because I can make my guitar sound like a bass I can make my guitar sound like a, an electric guitar with a crunch and mm -hmm. uh, so it, it's it's pretty interesting but at the same time I'm like you know I'm not really a bass player and even though some bass parts are easy and I like to doodle around with the bass when I'm listening to a song sometimes just to it's just good for the musical brain I think you know maybe someone who you know plays bass would be would be best here so uh, but yeah it's uh the sounds you can get are studio quality for sure it's, yeah yeah now speaking of guitars the last time i saw you or the last few times i've seen you perform you're playing a breed love you're still using that i am yeah did, did you retire the takamine i did but i have another takamine now so for um 
a friend actually, my, my friend Rocky actually ended up giving it to me because uh, I was looking at other guitars online and I just happened to ask him about that and he was like, no, 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 that's laminated wood, you don't want that. And then he said, you know, I don't use this one guitar anymore. And so I went and visited him and I have it an octave lower yeah. so that it can, uh, certain high notes, you know, especially the older you get, <laughs> you know, you're really not going to hit those. So, and I had a really weird key that I just couldn't transpose. So now it's just one half step lower and, uh, you know, I can play it. So, uh, yeah. Now, do you, would you like to play out more? I would. And I did the Herndon Folk Club a couple of weeks ago. The first time I've done that type of, uh, indoor setting where people weren't wearing masks since the uh, pandemic and you know back in 2015 2016 I was doing a lot of winery stuff and uh, they were three hours and I I really uh, think that was a good thing to do at the time because uh, you know it's just good for your musical brain and stamina or whatever I really do prefer the uh, some of the showcases the 30 minutes you know if you only have two or three songs sometimes you're just getting warmed up but an hour is like perfect. The three hours can be uh, that a last forty-five tough. minutes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Especially got, when it's hot out and your fingers are soft. Right, and I always hate to take a break too, especially if uh, the crowd seems to be into it. And it's like, nope, you got to take a break because otherwise you're going to collapse. You know, it's <laughs> like, uh, or you need to just stop singing and let you're you're losing your voice. You, know? yeah. you got to get some some water or some wine. You know, as it may be. Yeah, I I read someone's post on Facebook. I think on Monday and it's someone who we know and I just can't remember who it is and they said they played a three-hour gig on Friday a five-hour gig on Saturday and then had a six-hour rehearsal on Sunday and I'm thinking well I'd be in the hospital right that's uh it's it's more grueling than people think because you have to have some energy too you don't want to just you know you're on your way through it and uh that it can take a lot yeah now we're gonna first of all thank you so much for doing this and the the noise that you heard earlier that noise uh, there was a bug that decided that harry was its best friend there for for a while and it wouldn't leave him alone and that was him trying to swap the, the bug away and since we're doing this outside you can hear cars in the background occasionally and, and so forth but thank you again for doing this the because i don't think i have seen you in person it might have been the summer before like 2019 might have been the last time I saw you in person. Yeah, I was talking with Sean about that, and I think we saw you at uh, Beans in the Belfry maybe in November of 2019, yes. something like that. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's the last. And I was time. amazed yeah. at how tall he was. Yes, yes. You know, all these these kids, because my my older son, who's now what is he, 35? I think he's 35 or 34. Got married yesterday in Hawaii. Oh, congrats to him. Yeah, and the. But when I don't see other people's kids, who I first met when they were rugrats, basically. Right, right. And now I see them now, and sometimes I don't even recognize them. Yeah. And it's like, this is who? <laughs> the great thing is that we stay the same. We do. We look the same. Yeah, you know, you're much, young as ever, right? Yes, you look much younger <laughs> than the last time I saw you, Oh, Harry. thank you. I appreciate that. Now, we're going to go out with the second song. Actually, I'm trying to think. It might have been the, it was the one you sent with the piano song. Right. And I don't know the title of this one either. Oh, that's, it's called Do It To Them. That's right, Do It To Them. And tell us a little bit about this one, and then we will say goodbye to the folks, and they'll listen to it, and that'll be the end of the show. Okay, so I wrote the main part with the uh, chorus um, several years ago. I think I even played it at a Brewer's Alley showcase. 
let's do it to them before they do it to us. And it was kind of a very philosophical conundrum of if everyone's striking preemptively, you can never have any sort of peace. But it, it was so leaning towards being political, and I love the tradition and folk of uh, protest and social commentary, but I don't like songs that are just in-your-face political. And so I took me a long time to get the verses, but I ended up putting it in kind of a, a dream sequence without really taking any sides, where it starts with a nightmare and these things are happening and you have this chorus and it's it's partly you know the frustration at how uh, much we've uh, eroded mutual respect and uh, you know but it ends with hope with the uh, children uh, singing a slightly different version David Mallon at Innovation Studio did um, all of this as I mentioned before um, I've also want to mention uh, Brad Dietz who I've worked with quite a bit he's not on any of the songs here but when I started this project he was doing the drums bass and guitar and he was the rhythm section and that was a lot of fun there so uh just wanted to give a shout out to him and that's pretty much the uh basis of of the song well before we listen to the song if someone wants to purchase some of your songs from uh, strange journey or when the new ones are available how would they go about doing it so they could do an internet search harry pritchett strange journey i just happened to do one and um I'm in CD Baby, which I know probably isn't as popular as it was mm -hmm. back when I did it, but they have, I believe, distribution relationships with Amazon and everything like that. So you could go on and you could probably download a song as well. Um, I think I recently saw someone from uh, Japan had uh, paid 99 cents to download Nightbird. So uh, I was happy with that. And I got a, a check from CD Baby uh, about six months ago. And you, you don't get a lot of those because... Uh, you know, right now, um, but it's, you know, it's available online, so that would probably be the best way to do that. When I do shows, I've got Elk Run on August 7th, and I'll have some CDs with me there for Strange Journey, and I have some of my newer stuff uploaded to Reverb Nation. Well, Harry, again, thank you so much. Please tell Karen and Sean that I, I said hello. I'll do that. I miss seeing them as well, and... Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for listening to the Wispy Mop Acoustic Radio podcast series this week featuring Mr. Harry Pritchett, and here is the new song. Just around the bend Cut through the alley to the creek And the old guards yell We'll fight until the end Come on, let's do it to them Before they do it to us And we'll all keep doing it till We ruin the chance we have for love Do it to them they stand up and do it to us Waking up and walking through America Refugees in the street 
past the family Prayed for a miracle As crowds walked along to the beat Someone help go home Before it goes too far Come on, let's do it to them Before they do it to us And we'll all keep doing it too chance we have for love do it to them before they stand up and do it to us but then I had a dream of a lasting peace There was an angel of kindness Breaking the blindness I could hear the children sing Come on, let's give to them It will come back to us And we'll all keep giving, keep forgiving And there's a chance for love Come on, let's give to them It will come back to us And we'll all keep giving, keep forgiving There's a chance for love